0: Okay so some of you new music nerds have already identified what we're listening to here. This is a famous piece from the 1960s written by the composer Helmut Lachenmann and it's called Presion for solo cello. And you escape from society geeks may have uh intuited that this is going to be our entry point to discussing the song i flip my rhythms either that or you looked at the name of this podcast before you started listening to it so that's the tune we're talking about today um it's the only instrumental song on the record and beyond it being just instrumental it's the one that focuses most heavily on uh, extended techniques the cello grinding away here is uh, equivalent maybe we would say to what we're doing on the saxophone and trombone and I flip my rhythms now the way this piece pression is constructed is it's a, it's a score a graphic score as it's known in the, uh, the trade which instead of asking for certain pitches and writing out rhythms on a piece of um, staff paper for the player to read and interpret it's, it's more of a, you know, there are sort of verbal instructions and there are these little graphs of exactly where the bow should be placed against the strings and how hard the players should be pressing. It's divorced from the uh, traditional piece of music paper. It's not written pitches on or written rhythms on a uh, sheet of paper. It's something else entirely, which is an idea that appealed to many composers in the 20th century and continuing on to today. It's a way of getting something else out of your performers, getting some other sounds or some other ways of producing music. And uh, I'm searching for new ways also. And what happened when uh, f- what happened for the creation of "I Flip my Rhythms," is uh, I approached a friend of a friend a uh, woman named Christine Kim, who's deaf, and I was curious, I don't have any deaf friends except for now Christine, and I, I'm curious what their relationship is to music, because music is such a part of our culture, it's so often discussed, and people like me devote our lives to music, and it's one of the important things about the world, and it's expressive, and it gives life meaning, and this uh, sort of thing. So if you've been deaf for your whole life, and you've never been able to hear music, uh, I'm curious what sort of conclusions you would reach about uh, what music sounds like, or what music is, or that sort of thing. Uh, And Christine is involved in the creation of art and uh, has curiosities about creating uh, musical pieces of her own. I had a few ideas. We decided to meet up. um, And uh, I went to her apartment. And one idea that I had is I was curious uh, to see if she would sing a melody because I thought a melody... um, that she sang would really not be influenced by our traditional associations with tonality. Uh, It probably would be difficult to transcribe because it wouldn't follow along to the normal scales that we're used to hearing. It just might be a very natural uh, sort of wail or sort of something. I didn't know what it was going to be, I was curious. It's not what we did. Christine mm, sort of passed on that idea. Uh, She was more interested in uh, the rhythmic aspect, that she, uh, through watching people dance over the years and through watching people play music, uh, has picked up on, you know, the way that uh, rhythms in music are represented, at least visually. So... uh, what we did was we had sort of a jam session where Christine thought about music. She invented some music in her mind and moved and danced to that music while I uh, played it a little bit. I was recording this. I I played along a little bit or sometimes just listened and observed and um, through translating, transcribing and translating the rhythms that I was seeing her respond to I mean this is like many levels of translation isn't it it's like she's hearing something in her head based on what she has observed in the world and then I'm trying to put something on paper that represents her response to what she's creating in her head anyways I wrote down some rhythms uh, I'll shut off the Lockenmon here, and uh, and turn it over to. We're pretty much at the end of the Lockenmon piece. Actually, I can let it play out till the very end. Uh, I'll now turn it over to Frank Zappa. And if if the I Flip My Rhythms piece had sort of two parents, uh, musical parents, it would be uh, my curiosity about a piece like Presion where you're you're going for sounds that the instrument can make other than the notes that would traditionally be written down for the instrument and the other musical com, uh musical parent would be a piece of Frank Zappa's called Approximate. Now, I don't know if Zappa has made it onto the podcast yet. I don't think he has, which is amazing that I've made it this far because uh Probably as you'll hear from him um, introducing the song that I'm going to play, I model some of my speaking after him, and I certainly have taken a lot of musical inspiration from him over the years when I was in high school. Starting when I was in high school, just r- became one of those real Zappa heads, uh, and that has never abated. So there's a lot of Zappa in everything that I do, which is pretty easy for some people to pick up on but there's this piece that I'm gonna let him introduce that is uh, about it's a it's a piece basically about rhythms let's hear him tell it and I'll, I'll uh, come back and explain how I uh, sort of combined these two ideas
1: ladies and gentlemen you won't believe this but we're going to play something for you now we're gonna play our multi-purpose heavy duty number, that, uh it's one of our farther out tunes. It can either be played with instruments, you can sing it, or you can dance it. Any of the above, none of the above, or any and all of the above in combination, or in tandem, or anything that's suitable to you. The name of this song is Approximate, and we're gonna show you the, the melody of Approximate, and the way this tune is constructed is uh, each musician has a piece of paper, George has a number of pieces of paper, which he's still reading off of that he usually tapes to the top of his clavinet. Ah, Chester Chester took him. (laughs) What is he, trying to make you chump it in the middle of the song? Here's the deal, everybody gets the same piece of paper, and on the piece of paper, in fact, we'll probably insert a slide of the piece of paper right at this point when we finally stick it on television. Now, as you can see from this piece of paper that we have on the screen, which you can't really see at this point, but it will be on the screen for our television audience at home, that uh, there are some actual notes, and there's a lot of other things on there which the rhythm is indicated, but the pitches are not indicated, which means you get to choose whatever you like. Any kind of note that you can grab fast enough to make it on that rhythm is what your part is, see? And the only thing that happens is the, the group is rhythmically coordinated, and the rest of it is... Every person for themselves. Okay, you ready? Like you all persons that. for themselves. Yeah, all Stand. Persons I'm by. themselves. I'm giving you hereby the big thumb, which means that you're cool to play now. Okay. And I'm giving you the big thumb, which means it's cool for you to listen. So here we go. One, two. One, two. All right, now that's the melody. Now, we're gonna play, th- the melody will now be sung. Everybody is going to sing their part. Ready? Is this thumbs up or thumbs down? What's the deal? Go, hey, let's go. Here we go. Yeah, you sing it. <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, four. two. One, Ah, Chester, you're not singing your drum, <laughs> no be danced. If you can, now, we're going to dance, approximate, I, I use the term we loosely because I'm going to stand still, and then, what, huh? are, you, yeah. are, are you go for the dancing it, hey, <laughs> okay, this is go for the dancing of it. You ready? God, this on television? Wow. See, this is the way blood, sweat, and tears would do it, only there would be a tape in the background.
0: Or Millie Vanilli, or Beyoncé, or Aretha Franklin. Uh, What what they're doing now is they're pretending to play their instruments uh, in an exaggerated fashion and dancing around the stage. That's from the Dub Room special, Frank Zappa, uh, with his band from the mid-70s that includes... George Duke and Napoleon Murphy-Brock, Chester Thompson, Tom Fowler, and Ruth Underwood. Uh, so anyways, that piece, and the he does show little slides of the score in the TV version, uh, is mostly just a series of rhythms. Uh, and it is written on uh, regular music sheet paper. Uh, the way you would recognize, but instead of a little circular note head indicating what note he wants you to play, he puts an x uh, in the place of the circle, so it still has a little stem going down, and you can read it rhythmically and uh it's written sort of in a um with a little contour, so you might hear people uh, when they're playing the pitched version all sort of going up at the same time and going down at the same time, but all playing different notes. Uh, So to get back to my piece, I I like the idea of approximate and uh, what I was dealing with, the material that I had from uh, the get-together I I did with Christine, was I basically had a series of rhythms that I wrote out based on uh, the rhythms she was tapping out, um, while she danced, or just the general movement that she was making when she danced, uh, I had these rhythms. I didn't have any pitch material, and I s- decided that I didn't really want it that way because that's another thing about um, how a deaf person might conceive of music, uh, or someone who's never heard music. You th- think about that Lois Lowry book, The Giver, where. Uh, every The whole world, I think, is in black and white, and then suddenly somebody sees color for the first time, and it's like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Um, you might imagine color to be something different than it actually is. Uh, what a deaf person might imagine sound to be like, musical sound to be like, could be something very different from the way it has developed and the way we think about it as hearing people. So uh, with the use of the trombone and the saxophone um, and my trusty bandmate Matt Nelson uh, since I'm not Helmut Lachenmann, I'm not a capital C composer, I was less concerned with asking for specific odd sounds and specific extended techniques uh like we heard in Presion, which from one uh person playing it to the next sounds very similar because it is written out so specifically. Uh I was like, well we can make we can make those types of sounds. We both have our vocabulary that is not regular notes. And so I told Matt, just you know, don't use notes and follow the rhythms that are written on this page. And uh, what we wound up with uh, was this recording. And I think we did three takes. And what I wound up doing, because I like the sound of it so much, was layering two of the takes on top of each other for the final uh, recording that you get on the CD. So it's uh, two saxophones and two trombones moving through the piece We didn't have a metronome or a click track or anything, but we moved through it at basically the same pace, the same tempo. Uh, So even though a few of the sections are a little bit open, uh, it all wound up in a way that, to my ear at least, the rhythms sort of align. You can tell that the players are in sync moving through the piece with each other. Uh, Let's have a listen to it. So like I said earlier, it's fun to look for new ways of making music. And it was fun thinking that maybe uh, in ancient times, that's what music sounded like. Or in the future, that's what it'll sound like. Or on another planet, that's what it sounds like. Or inside the mind of somebody from this country at this time, music sounds like that. Because they can't hear things and... Uh that's just what they imagine or or something um it also just kind of sounds like the inside of a machine or something, and it's all uh in the mixing stage, we really changed the e q on the instruments so that they sound even less like they normally would um just to give a a sense of otherness and I was very happy I was able to include this on the record and my many thanks to Christine for collaborating with me on this piece it was definitely the most collaborative of any piece on the record you know everything else was pretty much a one-way street Uh, people gave me stuff and uh, I used their lyrics however I wished, and in this case, it was really sort of, I brought some ideas, Christine brought some ideas, and uh, we came together, and uh, yeah. That about wraps it up. If you like those sounds, there are definitely other trombone players, uh, many other instrumentalists I could mention who make great, weird sounds. Paul Rutherford and George Lewis have long been my favorite trombonists and have given me a lot of ideas of uh, what's possible on the instrument, but whether you are an improviser or a composer, you can make weird sounds, and many people have, and it's really fun. That's how I'm going to leave it for this episode. See you later.